Looking to improve your employee retention? Start by perfecting your onboarding and training experience for new hires. Check out Trainual to see how they can help you scale your growth and make onboarding easier and more efficient than ever. Check out the link in the show description or on the Manufacturing Culture Podcast partner page at manufacturingculturepodcast.com. Hello, and welcome to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast, where we explore company culture in the fascinating world of manufacturing. I'm your host, Jim Mayer, and today we have the pleasure of speaking with Jordan DeBottom, the recent owner of MLU Precision in Montreal, Canada. Jordan's story is unique, and I hope you will find it as compelling as I have. Jordan studied mechanical engineering at McGill and spent 13 years at CND Aerospace, which later became Zodiac Aerospace and is now finally Saffron Aerospace. During his time there, Jordan worked in design, change management, installation support, manufacturing engineering projects, and engineering supervision. Jordan's love for the marrying of design and manufacturing led him to develop the design for manufacturability training for design teams. However, with an entrepreneurial itch, Jordan took the plunge into some murky waters of culture, values, and corporate alignment when he stumbled upon MLU Precision, a family-run CNC shop that had profitability and lots of room for improvement. Today, we will hear Jordan's story and how he navigated the challenging waters of culture and values at MLU Precision. So sit back, relax, and join us for this exciting episode of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. Hey, Jordan, how are you doing today? Good, and yourself, Jim? I'm doing wonderful. I'm doing wonderful. Uh, The sun is shining. It's a beautiful day, uh, and I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Likewise, likewise. Well, I can't see the sun shining here, but uh, that's what you get for living in Phoenix, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, uh, that is uh, one of the the perks 300 out of 365 days a year. (laughs) Um, is, is we get that sunshine and it's not quite too hot yet. So, uh, it's going well, but it's, it's, uh, not as lovely up in, in Montreal. Well, we're still getting flurries. We've still got some gray skies, but, uh, they're calling for a great, great weekend for St. Patty's day. So that's going to be fun. I know everybody's looking forward to that. Wonderful. Wonderful. That's great. Uh, so Jordan, um, you and I have, never met in person um you were actually referred to the podcast uh by paul van meter of, of pro shop um so i i really am excited to have this conversation we had a couple of uh background conversations and you told me your story and, and that's really why we're here today uh it's a little bit different of an episode uh because usually we have people who are currently leaders uh, within organizations, Um, but your story is a little bit different. Before we get into the cultural journey of MLU, talk to us about a little bit about the backstory uh, going from Safran uh, to MLU and and what, what occurred there. Well, basically, you want to hear about the train wreck that happened afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I, I'm coming, as you explained before, I, I've got a diverse experience in, in manufacturing, engineering, and design. Um, a, a lot of it was spent in cabin interiors when I was in CND Aerospace and then became Zodiac. Uh, <clears throat> but I was lucky enough to get my hands into multiple facets of the business. So afterwards, as you mentioned, I started to get that itch for for an entrepreneurial adventure and 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 MLU came kind of on my lap a little bit. <laughs> it wasn't a company that I had known before, nor did I nor did I know the uh, the owners before. It was somebody basically I met them through uh, through the acquisition. Okay. And they were looking to sell the business, the building, everything. They wanted to cash out and move on. Um, there were some some family uh, disputes that they wanted to just simply clear out, <clears throat> which was the easy solution for them. So I figured, okay, it's an opportunity. The business has profitability. Everybody's working. The machines were in pretty good condition. They weren't the newest machines, but they were all right. Um, 
but I think they had when I stepped in eight or nine lathes and six six CNC mills. So a fairly um, good size shop. How many employees? Yeah, it was good. When I stepped in, it was about seventeen. Okay. <clears throat> so and then becomes the adventure. So <laughs> the, <laughs> the adventure actually started just trying to acquire the business, but that was a whole other uh, adventure that I, I won't necessarily get into. But yeah, that um, might be for another podcast. We don't talk it. about finances on here. <laughs> finances and corporate deals. Yeah, we don't do that on this one. <laughs> no, good, good. Keeps everybody a little more sane. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> after I stuck the knives in my eyes after. <laughs> so, um, but coming back to the original story. So when I when I stepped into Amlu, um, I mean, my <laughs> I, I remember the, one of the first times I stepped into the shop and I could see my, my health and safety and my maintenance manager uh, from, from Zodiac, just, I, I could have seen his face and his jaw dropped <laughs> to the floor because when I first stepped in, I mean, so this was in 2018 and there was a pillow of smoke, a plume of, of cigarette smoke in the office and in the, in the shop. Oh my. Oh yeah. They were still smoking, uh, at the shop, uh, sorry, at the, at the machines, uh, in the office. Um, <laughs> and I remember stepping in and looking at the guys working on the machines. I see one of the guys who got a cigarette in one hand and a piece of pizza in the other. <laughs> And, and and eating at the machine. I was like, okay, that's uh, that's something. That's that's something. Yep. <laughs> and as I you know did the tour, walked around. I mean, everybody was pretty much working, and it seemed pretty straightforward. And and, and I walked into the office, and something struck me as being missing on a few of the desks. I said, "What? There's no computers here." <laughs> <laughs> there was one computer basically sitting on on the admin's desk at the front and when i sat down with the owner at his desk it's like okay it's all paper it's all manual and i looked on the wall i said well how do you guys track your po's and your work and everything he says oh yeah we have them all printed here and it was a paper company it was a paper oh, company wow. um so I, I and even the accounting was done off-site it wasn't uh, like when when i looked at their 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 gls their <laughs> It was an actual printed physical GL general ledger. Wow. <laughs> the book, and they transferred those off to accounting and somebody else pretty much took a good, a good paycheck to get those entered into, uh, into an accounting software. So you so, basically walked into a time machine. Yes, absolutely. I walked into a time machine uh, and that was, that was half of, of the battle. Uh, the other aspect of it was I walked into a fascist dictatorship that only came to light couple of months afterwards got it so um i i right away i knew that as i stepped in first thing i needed to do was at least stop the hemorrhaging well hemorrhaging it wasn't necessarily hemorrhaging but stop the excess costs of um paying someone outside to do the accounting so we brought in a bookkeeper got in accounting software got that set up and then once that was stabilized i knew that the next thing we needed to do was get some sort of an erp system because first step when i walked in i said okay guys day one all this <laughs> nice <laughs> eager beaver and I'm used to tracking in Excel and, and using the tools. I said, okay, what are we shipping this week? And I remember the blank stare I got from the admin saying, uh, uh, okay, what needs to leave this week? Um, and, and he had no answer. He said, well, I'd have to go through all the printed POs. Wow. And list it all out. I said, okay, so you have no idea. He says, no, I have no idea. And wow. it wasn't to his fault. He just, that's the way it was operating and that's the way it was running. And uh, everything, all the drawings were printed on paper um with the quantity the due date and the po number and those were the travelers basically that were circulating around the shop so sure. problem is you, you lose a page in the shop you're never going to know it until the customer calls screaming yeah it's gone yeah. which <laughs> happened several times oh no so, i mean and that was that was regular occurrence and there was just oh if something gets missed and then you just take that off the machine take tear that down put this on it's rushed it was due two weeks ago and <laughs> surprise wow. so that's where i knew that an erp was was essential and just i hate having a customer have more information than me yeah uh or anybody else for that matter so <laughs> <laughs> anybody that we're dealing with so uh even internally so we we started i started shopping around for erps and that's what led me to to paul van meter at, at pro shop mm -hmm. um and and well, before then, I pretty much took the time to make sure that everything was was locked into Excel, and I started Master Tracker just to be able to know what the hell's coming in, what the hell's going out. Yep. Um, as an as an intermediate, but uh, meanwhile, at sort of trying to get the mechanics of the business aligned, 
was starting to become clear to me that there were some serious, serious issues of um, well, some psychological issues, some cultural issues, some value issues in the shop. Sure. Um, and the more and more that I observed, the more and more uh, I got deeper into realizing that there was another, it wasn't a time machine, but a time bomb, essentially, <laughs> of um, just characters. And ha so it, it, it was, and this wasn't new. This wasn't something that happened because I stepped in. This was there all the time. Right. And it was clear as day um, when, I, when I was starting to observe more that I had two shops in one. And you might be wondering what the hell I'm talking about, but it's, it's where we had a physical separation between the lathe side and the milling side. Okay. And the milling, so the milling side was run by the old owner, uh, and the lathe side was run by, um, a very experienced, um, I, I would call him a master, master turner, master lathesman, um, who was running the lathe side Okay. and had been with the company for many, many years. And when I walked out on the lathe side, I'd see organized workstations. I'd see, you know, the 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 drawings on the on the table, nice and clean. The inspection tools lined up, everything proper, everything clean, everything organized. Mm -hmm. And then I'd go over to the milling side, and I'd hear screaming, I'd hear yelling, I'd see people kicking machines. I and it was just emotions and raw and what really? the, it was. It was two shops in one. And uh, that's where I started to realize that how deep the um, the emotional dysfunction or the yeah but the lack thereof the, the the lack of emotional function or, or maturity uh, started to sink in. I mean, it, it got to the point where I had one one of so this was a family run uh, organization. There was uh, the admin in the front was a friend of the son. The two sons worked there. The wife was the one taking care of the books, um, but only partially because it got sent out afterwards. Uh, the, the, the father was pretty much the, the, the one that ruled the roost. Uh, he was the one cutting material as well as making the orders of material, yeah. um, as well as pretty much yelling and screaming and telling everybody what to do wow. on the milling side, because the lathe side, he'd yum, he'd come in and yell and scream. And then the former would step in and say, just ignore him. Listen to what I told you. <laughs> and, and they kept carrying on. So, uh, and they had, so the two sons were in the back. One was on the lathe, one was on the mill and they didn't get along. So that's why they were separated. Um, oh my. And there was other, so this was an Italian-run shop, well, Italian family. So there was a lot of friends of sort of paisans, if you will, a little <laughs> bit. Uh, <laughs> friends from the old country um, yeah. that were just peas of a pod. So, it, um, and it's one of those things where, you know, if you don't create a culture consciously, and I'm sure you, you've, you've preached this in the past, it, it'll get created automatically just by what you do say or, you know, act. Absolutely. How, however yeah. you, you, or lack of thereof. Yep. So there were essentially two cultures in the shop and two shops within the shop. Uh, so I needed wow. to address that. So, um, and to the point where I had one of actually the nephew of the old owner was, I had him screaming in my face at one point, um, about unleashing what? his fury for what reason I, I can't even wow um, and anyways there was some serious issues where yeah. i said okay you know what get the hell out go um and i started to quickly realize that it, it's almost as if it was an abusive relationship where you take mm. the abuser out of the equation and the people are lost yeah and i'm, I'm and i told him straight i said look guys you're all big boys I'm not here to sit behind you cracking the whip to tell you to get to your freaking job and do your work. Yeah. You don't want to work, stay the hell home. You want to work, come in respectfully and do your job. Yeah. So slowly, slowly we started to tweak at that and, and it, it was, it was a serious uphill battle. Anybody I brought in because the culture was, was deeply infused into the shop. Yeah. And so turmoil started to come up. Uh, lots of, lots of, uh, I would call it, teenage angst or juvenile emotions that were never dealt with just it was it was a very much an abusive environment and and they were brought up in those environments and people that were brought in that stayed enjoyed or were comfortable in those environments so that culture got created um, exactly just naturally uh, it was an organic creation and it was because of the way the owner was and the bigger the family was and um 
but like I said, they, they had a profitable business and it was working with tons of opportunities. So come a couple of months, well, this was in 2018, 2019, stuff started to get a little bit more uh, energetic as okay. I realized that there were some, some serious issues that were happening left and right. And then all of a sudden, bang, COVID. Oh. So as we were trying to get our momentum going, and, I, and even to the point where some of the people I had brought in, I realized were, were not good fits and were, weren't good fits because of, it, it, it's try and bring in a logical, normal person into an environment like that. They're either going to say no, or they're not going to stay, or they're going to either, or they're going to follow suit and say, okay, well, this is, this is the environment that I'm in. I'm going to let myself loose a little bit. Yeah. So it was hard to bring anybody of value into that organization. And at one point, the admin that was that was there for a while, uh, the son's the friend of the son that left, he decided right before COVID that he was going to leave. Um, I said, okay, it's an opportunity for me to bring in someone with a bit more project management experience in this. Sure. I'll sort of flip the turn the leaf over and, and and bring in someone new, and we started doing that. But then conflict started to happen with this new person and my and other. You know, it, it just it was the tree was bent so far that it was hard to bring it back, and that's when roughly around when COVID hit. Um, wow. So I said, okay, everybody stay home. We're, we're closed. There was the mandate uh, here anyways in, in Quebec yeah. that uh, everybody was to stay closed and only central services. And of course, the day after I closed, <laughs> like several people or several other companies I'm aware of, I've got phone calls left and right from my customers saying, you can't close, you can't close. We're considered essential. <laughs> we're making parts for this. We're making packaging machines for, for pharmaceuticals that are going directly to close. Anyway, so we had, I said, great. <laughs> give me give me the proof and we'll stay open. So we did and we started to bring, and this is where I started to become a little more selective of who we started to bring back. Sure. And bringing back, and this was kind of an opportunity where it was like, okay, the company was down to zero and I can selectively say, okay, you come back, you come back. And we would build back the company and progressively bring back the ones I wanted to. Um, wow. And and So you basically got to... to pick your team like it's a schoolyard and you're playing basketball or baseball or, or football or That's a, it. any sport. You got to stand there and be the team captain and, and just select who comes with you on this new journey. Correct. So uh, at the end of the day, COVID, that, that whole crazy time for, I mean, everybody. Uh, and we had some older staff and I was, I was genuinely concerned. I mean, my, the foreman that I was talking about before, he had one lung was a smoker almost all of his life. It stopped wow. several years ago. Um, and I was seriously where he was, he was, he's probably in his mid sixties now, Yeah. but this is a couple of years ago. He was still in his early sixties around that mark. I'm like, okay, this is not a safe environment for us to be. And so I was concerned, seriously concerned for several of the, the, the older staff members that I had. So those were the ones that also stayed home and they yeah. also volunteered to stay home. So, um, I had to be very selective of who was the higher value add as well as who was the non-toxic. Yeah. Um, and some, some of the people, and in the end of the day, when I stepped into the shop, I was the newbie. Yeah. So I was trying, and I would say wrongly so, trying to fit in or at least get a, a, a lay of the land. Um, because after a point, I started to realize like, no, this is just, you can only do so much with people that you're, you have no synergy with and you have no trust or respect with, right? I always see it as if I'm going to war and I've got my band of brothers with me, can I trust them that they're not going to turn around and either start running or shoot me in the back by sure. accident or on purpose? Sure. You know, it's, it's that sort of concept, especially in the smaller businesses. And you got to feel like you're a team of Spartans. Yeah. And, and that you have trust in those around you because let's face it, if they're, if they've got one hand in your pocket trying to trying to rob you while you're trying to stay alive, well, that ain't happening. That, that's never going to be successful, and it's never going to be um, a win. Yeah. So, so Jordan, uh, with that real quick uh, question here, uh, yeah. with with you being that new guy and coming in, um, did you see yourself adopting some of those toxic traits that were so prevalent in the shop? And if you did didn't how did you avoid that? And that, let's say I had a lot of sleepless nights on, on those thoughts because yeah. it's not an easy, I mean, 
there, it was one of the first times I felt personally isolated. Sure. That makes in, sense. in the aspect of, I've never worked in an environment where I didn't have full trust of the people around me. Mm-hmm. And, and I met everybody around me. I was, there was the one that I trusted, I would say, honestly trusted was the admin uh, when I first stepped in, who was, I'll be straight, I mean, he might have had the technical skills, but he was a great, great uh, guide and just a, a straight, honest human being and, and wanted to help, and wanted to see things move forward. Unfortunately, he, he lacked some of the skills to help that go. Mm-hmm. Um, and decided that maybe it's it's better. He had an opportunity to go work with uh, a friend that that offered him some equity in the company. So, perfect. Uh, he went there and he decided to go. Um, and it gave us an opportunity to start mixing it up a little. Uh, but to come back to your question, it it was hard. It yeah. was hard to try and walk the line. To question my values, like what's wrong with me? Like you start going through all these sort of internal debates of. Am I just naive? Am I yeah. unskilled? Am I not good enough? All those things start popping up. Yeah, that and it, it imposter was a, syndrome. That's it. Like, what's what's going on? Because it was it was very. Um, I, I felt very isolated at the beginning, like around I would say year two, right before COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some serious doubts in my mind of of what the hell I stepped into and what what are my next moves to fix this. Sure. Because I knew that sustainability it wasn't there. Yeah. Um, and ironically enough, the guys who were most toxic were the most competent machinists. Yes. <laughs> I see that and a lot. Yeah. It, it always happens where that's they, they have that air of, no, 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 I'm the shit and I can tell you whatever the, thing, whatever the hell I want. Yep. And, you know, fuck you. Yep. So um, that, was, that was a hard one. Um, but afterwards as I started to rebuild with COVID and I started to say, okay, no, I want you on the team. I don't want you. Once I started to take back that aspect of control and opening the door to bringing in other players and new players. And part of it was attrition. Part of it was design. Part of it was serendipitous. (laughs) Um, Sometimes it is. I mean, one of the guys that had left ironically enough, which was like, there's, there were a lot of weird things that happened and and one of the things that um, that I had a challenge with was understanding the historical context with everybody's relationship. Mm, that's a big one. That's huge, 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 yeah. huge, huge, huge. Especially where it's a smaller environment, knowing the abuse that was, and I call it abuse because it was real emotional and verbal abuse that was going on there. Absolutely. Um, and knowing that was the status quo, trying to get a, a lay of, of what the historical relationships were between the team, because we weren't a huge team, mm-hmm. was, was it, it took time and it took an effort. And one of the guys that was slated to be the replacement for the foreman got pissed off and left because of the foreman. Wow. Because the foreman yelled at him in front of everybody. So it, there, were a lot of, there was a lot of history. There was a lot of history, a lot of baggage, a lot of emotional baggage. And it was once enough of those old guards left that I was able to start really bringing in the members that I needed and I wanted. And somebody said this to me at one point, which, which struck me as odd, but it makes total sense now. Uh, having told him sort of a sim- sim- similar short version of the story. Yeah. And I said that, you know, finally we're starting to get traction and things are moving forward. And he says, well, I told him the story about the people. And I said, now it's, we've got social traction and I got trust in my guys. He says, well, it's normal. He says, the company's starting to resemble you. Uh, it's that's a great way to say it and it's a great it's it's um it was a nice feeling when he said that because i actually felt it inside like i felt it intrinsically that i've got these became my people it became my team it became the my selection my choice and people that were really motivated people that were really emotionally invested and wanted it to work um and the real last click and, and this was i mean 20 late when was this late 21 around september 21 okay. uh, we were having some trouble with with that with one of the admins that i had brought in early on because she fit well in the original culture but didn't necessarily evolve with us as we were changing 
Okay. Uh, so we, we mutually decided that it wasn't a good fit anymore. So, and my wife was between jobs and I said, Hey, look, I really need some help. Can you come in? I said, I don't care what, how, and she wasn't a bookkeeper. She was, she had, a, you know, she has a bachelor's in finance, but, um, that wasn't her, her shtick. So, right. uh, I said, I just need someone I can trust. Yeah. And the moment she came in, everything just started to click together. Really? Um, it was as if the sort of the missing piece of the pie came in. And I'm not saying that just because she's my wife, but uh, where having a unified group on all fronts yeah, makes the world of a difference. Everybody's so working that, towards the same goal. That's it. We were finally side by side, arm in arm, and really trudging ahead, you know, through hell or high water. And, yeah. um, and it allowed us to go a little farther into the cultural uh, the, the remnants of the cultural issue. So we had brought in, in mid, uh, or sorry, early 22, we brought in a, um, I'd call him a, a, a social psychologist, but um, I'm not sure what his exact designation was, but uh, someone with a lot of practical and applied experience. Um, not necessarily clinical, but sure. uh, just real world. Uh, and I believe he was starting to become part of the Covey Foundation. Or oh, Covey wow. Institute, yeah. um, locally anyways, to be the local rep. I'm not sure if he ended up getting that or not, regardless. So we went through uh, a training of, especially after COVID, there was um, a lot of anxiety. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's true for everybody everywhere. Um, the market was unstable. People's lives were upheaved. There was just a lot of uncertainty in the air. And so we brought him in to help coach the team. Uh, and his specialty was really in, in, in dealing with anxiety. Wow. Um, as well as just his general toolbox that he had. So yeah. we went through a training. It was myself, uh, my wife, my, my new production manager, and one of the other guys, one of the other leaders that we had in the, in the group. And that was a huge step of getting to know. It kind of put the science a little bit behind what I was feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that, uh, I don't know what his title was, but I've seen a lot of organizations, especially post COVID or, or through COVID uh, with a, the essential business designation, um, bring in industrial and organizational uh, psychologists, right? That, that, that IO psych. Um, and I'd never really, I, I didn't know that was a, a psychology focus, right? Uh, that that actually was a designation, and people studied this. Uh, but the organizations that brought those folks in, <clears throat> similar to you, the, their employees felt a lot more psychologically safe in their organizations, right? Not only did they help alleviate some of the anxiety that that COVID had brought to the table that people may or may not have experienced. And if they hadn't, uh, or if they had, they just didn't know how to self-diagnose it, right? Mm. But it also created this sense of my organization cares about my mental well-being, right? Because that uh, COVID was the first time that that became a, a national global conversation was not only the, the physical health of people, but the mental health aspect. So I digress. Sorry to, to interrupt there. No, no, not at all. I mean, but, but it's a solid point. It's, it's, it's something that came to light. And I think a lot more people are becoming aware of, of mental health, uh, especially throughout everything with COVID, but, but not just mental health at home, right? Mental health of how you interact at work. And, and because it, it, let's face it, it's, it, it all comes into a matrix that we call our lives, right? It, yeah. It's what we bring to, from home, we bring to work and what we, it's, you know, what we cultivate at work, we bring home. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's this symbiote or symbiotic system that we have in life where we've got to try and balance it. That's the whole work-life balance, right? But yeah. uh, that some people preach, but who's to say they're not one and the same? <laughs> and that work and life, it's, it's, it's a continuum, you know? I like it. I like it. I like that. So it's, it's funny though, but going, so going back to the psychologist that we had brought in, um, and one of the side effects that I did not see coming is that it brought one of the older or the more experienced younger guys uh, who was with the company for at least 10 years. Um, I mean, this guy came, he was not a machinist. He came in from Tim Hortons and it was a, it was a friend of one of the sons of the old owner. Oh, came wow. in and just learned the trade 
on the spot from everybody. Wow. And, what and drive. Really dug in. Yeah, it was wild. I mean, he's got, he, he was a very skilled uh, machinist. And I, I say was because he's, he's changed domains ever since. But uh, maybe he went back into it. I'm not sure. But it brought him for his emotional issues to a head to the point where he decided to leave. Wow. And, I mean, I wasn't complaining because he became very toxic at the end. Um, and he was one of the last ones of the old guard that okay. that carried that flame almost indignantly to say, um, no, what's wrong with you people? This is the way it's supposed to be. And he became almost adversarial yeah. to the rest of the team because we had changed, but he hadn't or he wasn't capable of. Yep. So when we brought in the psychologist, it really came to a head. And and he highlighted, I mean, the, the core the core base of, of what, so the psychologist's name was Sylvain Nantel. And... Um, and he's he's a guy from from Montreal and from Quebec, um, and he pretty much gave us the, the breakdown training of of you know the four character uh, globalizations of character, if you will, or whatnot, where you have the sort of um, the dominant, mm -hmm. the emotional, the the social, or the analytical, and just those four quadrants of the of, of character, and who rates how uh, how high on in 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 each one of those four. Yep. Um, and that was the first time that I, when I was saying kind of putting that science behind what I was feeling is, uh, he was, his assessment of me was that I was, I was higher on, uh, analytical and social, but fairly well balanced in general. Okay. Um, and my wife was the same, ironically enough. And he says, that's probably why you guys are, are, are such a good team together. Or you guys work well together because you're, <laughs> you're fairly well in line. I said, that's great. And my wife sort of had a big grin on her face when she saw that. So that was a bunch of brownie points. That I yeah, absolutely. For, <laughs> this episode of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast is brought to you by TCO Strategies. A company is only as good as its employees, and a healthy workplace culture is essential to attracting and retaining those employees. TCO Strategies can help you assess the impact of your company's people strategies on the employee experience. We combine industry best practices, a proven system, and a knowledge of our clients to build a customized cultural roadmap. Invest in your team and create a healthy workplace culture with TCO Strategies. Visit tcostrategies.com, that's tcostrategies.com to learn more. Well, we both enjoyed that. But at the same point, it, it gave us a sense and it kind of brought me back to that comment of, of that somebody told me saying that the, the enterprise is starting to resemble you. Because yeah. inadvertently, I was bringing in people that were social analyticals wow. into the organization because I was, I was you know, sort of, uh, uh, was polarizing towards the, that type of a character subconsciously. Yep. It's just, it's who I felt comfortable with and who I was bringing in. And then after that fact, he says, well, the guy that's been causing trouble is a dominant emotional. Interesting. And one of those, and he says from his experience, one of the dangers, and he says, uh, are, unfortunately, prison is full of these these combinations, is because the dominance and the emotional create a sense of self victimizing, of self victimization, mm. so, and it's it's just a natural direction that their psychology goes towards, and it doesn't mean it can't be you know addressed or or, or worked on, but it's a natural habit based mm -hmm. on those two um, psychology types. And so he says, when you're number one and number two are, are dominant and emotional or emotional dominant, he says, that's where you get into self-victimization. That's where you see people getting, they just can react completely off, off tangents and just completely um, huge swings of emotions. Yeah. Um, so, and that basically became part of our hiring strategies. As we were sitting in interviews, we were sitting looking at how, okay, you know, the big challenge between my wife and I is, okay, where are they on, on the map? Are they more dominant? Are they more? So, and, and it's a fun conversation because you're kind of trying to get an aspect. And it's not, I wouldn't call it um, any type of, of um, uh you're not trying to stereotype anybody and you're not trying to say, Oh, all, all people from, you know, Northern Africa or from Europe are like this or like that. Right. You know, there are certain types that are more prevalent in certain areas of the world just because of the culture and the way they're brought up Sure. Uh, that they, that they've developed certain aspects, but it's ironic to see that the, 
when we were bringing people in and, and it, it matched our intuition, they would say, oh, you know what? This guy feels good. He feels, he seems like he's pretty steady. He's not, you know, overly emotional. He doesn't seem like just by even the subtleties of whether or not somebody will look you in the eyes well, yeah. and how they just, how they hold themselves and their level of confidence, just those little things um, were huge when we were bringing people in after the fact. Yeah. So that majorly, majorly changed. And I would encourage anybody that has to hire, has to bring people in to get some sort of training like that because it opens your eyes to a whole other spectrum of character and evaluation that we don't usually talk about or see. It's just another tool for the toolbox, right? Absolutely. Um, so many people uh, that I come across, so many companies I work with uh, have somebody in a leadership position that isn't a leader, wasn't a, a born leader. They were the best, you know, machinist or best quality mm. tech or best engineer, but they don't carry with them a lot of background or intrinsic leadership skills. And, and so that's where you start to see some of the bad hires happen, right? Is mm. people that don't have that training, that toolbox uh, to, to assess people, they look at, Hey, the basically just the skill set, the, the, what that person walks through the door and says that they can do on a resume. Right. But they're not diving into the values to the, uh, do the person's values align with the organization's values Do the beliefs that this person have aligned. Right. And I think that's really what you're talking about. There is, is making sure that you're looking at a candidate as that whole human versus just the skill set that walks in the door. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the skill set, and and that's one of the things that I find. If you've got, I mean, this is just my my experience and my perspective on things. Is skills can be taught. Yeah. If the willingness is there, I'd rather bring in someone with a great heart and a great motivation and great motivation and and, and a, a great desire with less skills, sort of like higher integrity and a higher, higher on the social measurement. Yeah. With less skills that I can coach, teach, if not myself, I can get someone in there to teach them, but I know they're going to, they're going to, they're going to take that information to heart and they're going to take that, that training and they're going to value it. Yep. Versus someone that's a highly skilled, that's, where did I hear this? I, I can't remember where, but skilled assholes. <laughs> you want to stay away from skilled assholes. Yeah. Because there's a ton of them and they know they're good and they mm -hmm. treat everybody else like they're a piece of shit just because of the fact that they're good at what they do. Absolutely. Those are the people I do not want in my organization and I do not want in any shape or form around me. Um, my wife and I have a no asshole policy in our life in general. So, <laughs> I so, love that. I'm going to have to adopt that. No asshole. I, I might no. make a t-shirt, Jordan, if I do <laughs> and it sells, uh, you, you, but that's, that's fantastic. No well, asshole policy. Jordan. Just Bob. send me a couple of t-shirts. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. I like it. But, uh, it, and it's true because it, those, those are the things that you subtly bring in and don't realize that how something like that, it becomes the cancer of an organization, becomes the eroding element of, uh, of your corporate culture, which, which today is hugely valuable. Yeah. You know, those skills can be taught and if you can find, if you can't find someone with the right, as long as they have the motivation too, and that, and, and that was a huge challenge, a huge challenge today, especially in our, in our labor market where we are Yeah. finding people. I found it finding people wanting to work and i hate to say it but we had a lot more success for people that were coming from abroad really we had a lot more interest and earnest desire to work from people that came here as immigrants wow um and it just there's been a shift at least from from my perspective here um that a lot of the people that are born and raised be it in, in Eastern Canada or Canada in general, a lot of people want to get as much money as they can for sometimes as least the work as possible. Right. Um, and unfortunately, what skews a whole lot of the sector, at least here, is you're getting these high paid jobs for entry level electricians or, or uh, people that are, are into, um, I forget what they call it, uh, the guys that are learning basically in cement and foundations and, and setting oh, yeah. up the larger high rises type stuff. Yeah, that's it. And they're, they're getting very good salaries to start. Yeah. And I mean, 
you get guys coming out of engineering school that aren't making that money, you know. Exactly. Whereas, so there's there's definitely a shift going on, and and the people or the companies, and we saw that even with the aerospace companies, where they they had the funds and the access to funds to keep the companies going, to pay the higher salaries, and it skews the whole market. So what ends up happening is all the small and medium enterprises are the ones who are getting shafted, getting screwed mm-hmm. to deal with and and try and survive. Um, and, but and we, we see had a that, lot more success. We see that in the states too. The the skilled trades in the construction industry are being paid hand and fist above what skilled tradesmen and women in manufacturing are being paid. And so right. we're seeing that that shift right uh, here in Phoenix. We have a couple of trade schools. They have wait lists for their electrical and plumbing programs, but they can't they can't staff an instructor to teach the manufacturing classes um and, and it's just so there there has been this big shift into different skilled trades right uh it's not necessarily not skilled trades work but it's just a different skilled trade and and manufacturing needs to catch up uh if if we want to continue in in both countries Right. No, I completely agree with you because, and, and that's one of the challenges. And let's face it, it's still one of the challenges are coming from abroad, coming from from Asia, uh, and the low cost centers. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and that was one of our one of our biggest challenges. But it, we had the same the same um, experience where I would have calls from some of the teachers in some of the trade schools. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you know the class. If you guys know anybody, please let us know because you know we won't have enough to make the class this session. This, this session. Yeah. So they've had to put off and regroup and, and 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 like you said, only in the manufacturing side, only in the CNC courses or things like that, where where the electrician courses and, and the plumbing and and uh, all of those other skilled trades related to construction are, are booming, but yeah. then that leaves a gaping hole in the economy. Exactly, and we are the backbone of the economy. The, those construction trades can't pound a nail unless there's a manufacturer making the hammer and the nail, right? Correct, um, exactly. So it, 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 we, we've got to do a better job of, of getting people uh, switched over. So tell us, tell us how, how did it end up with Emily? Uh, <laughs> what, what's the conclusion to this saga, my friend? Look, and, and in come the train wreck. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a light at the end of the tunnel, it is a train. <laughs> 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 I laugh. I can laugh now about it. And yeah, I like that. I like that. I like I'm that. at this point, but um, we w- 2022 was a was a ex- was a great year in terms of staff and in terms of um, um, getting everybody in culture and, and where we wanted and starting to build up the organization or rebuild it. Financially, it was a disaster. Um, Post COVID, put us into a hole. And okay. I mean, when I acquired the business, I still had, you know, I had debts on the building, debts on the business. Yeah. Uh, stepping in the first year, I had to replace the compressor and about three machines. So, wow. it, and you yeah, had to buy well, computers. <laughs> and then my computer. <laughs> Thank you, Best Buy. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if you're getting commissions from them for applying, hey, but <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll reach out to them. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, so the 2022. Uh, was great culturally it was a disaster financially and then uh, we were already on on weak ground coming out of covid uh, because of uh, everybody's hopes were that coming out of covid it would be pedal to the metal full tilt forward let's go let's go let's go and, and kind of that pent up um, market that that was kind of restrained for the last couple of years would, would just take off yeah and I know it did in aerospace and we weren't in an aerospace shop but we, we had some work in aerospace okay uh, so that the labor market and I mean, even just the interest rates, everything just pummeled, pummeled the business. Mm-hmm. And we decided in December to, to close and wave the white flag. So, uh, it was an intense year, uh, intense amount of learning, intense amount of ex- basically work. Yeah. Um, and I mean, my wife and I were working, you know, 12, 13 hour days and, letting the kids come home by themselves and, and just come in and make sure they're fed and put them, it was, it was wild. It was a wild wow. experience trying to steer the ship back into profitability. And we were, but the problem is, is the cost that it was taking for us to edge the needle forward was, is immense. Yeah. Um, we had, we had some leaks in the boat and we weren't 
ready to weather the storm that was and still is coming in my books. Yeah. Um, and the worst part of it was we were having problems on the receivable side. Mm. Uh, you know, people were withholding payments. It was getting a lot harder to get paid. And even when I was looking forward into projections, a lot of the customers were saying, well, you know, we're, we're downgrading our, our projections for next year. It's going to be less work. It's going to be this and that. Uh, it just, it all came at once. Yeah. And um, we, we lucked out and had a, a plug into a trustee that, that after having spoken with them, it, it kind of, uh, it, it's it's a surreal experience to say okay you know we're having that that conversation about about bankruptcy and we're having that that taboo b word we don't sit yeah. like divorce you know no, no, no. Yeah. block your ears you know cover your <laughs> eyes stick your head in the ground and it doesn't exist but uh, and unfortunately too many people know that divorce does exist and, and a lot of people know that bankruptcy does exist and I'm one of those yeah. people that have lived it and got the scars on the back of my back that say that it does um, and. The one thing I will say, though, is is if anybody is in um, rough, feeling alone or in a in a tough spot, yeah, seek advice, seek help. It doesn't mean that you're going to go that way, and it doesn't mean you have to. Uh, just because we made that that decision that that's where we wanted to go, and that's what we were willing to to give up, um, doesn't mean that it's true for everybody. But I will say that having a conversation with someone who's licensed and knows the ropes and knows what the situation is and knows what the implications are, um, it, it kind of like, it was kind of like somebody saying, all right, Jim, you're going to have a car accident today, <laughs> but don't worry. It's, uh, you're going to break your left arm. You're going to get some, you know, scratches on your face. You get a, you know, a bruise on your left thigh. Otherwise you're good. Nobody else gets hurt and you can walk away. Wow. Like, oh, okay. That's it's well, pretty by accident. Yeah, but you're you're okay. That's what it's gonna be. That's yeah. gonna be the, the carnage that you're gonna live through. Right. Um, and it, it kind of felt like that having spoken with the trustee where they said, Okay, this is what's gonna happen, this is how it's gonna hurt, this is good, this is where it's gonna hurt, this is what they, you know, and sort of help put things in place to prepare wow. for it. Uh, but it, it definitely feels like somebody's saying, Okay, you're you're heading into a car accident and this is what it looks like. Yeah. And here's, here's, like you said, here's where it'll hurt. Um, but you will live, you will make it through, um, just follow the process basically. Right. Right, right, right. And do everything you can to help. I mean, so, you know, the last, uh, couple of months have been helping, you know, clear the receivables and, and try and get people paid and, and going through you know meetings and all kinds of stuff. So it's, it's been an adventure. It's been an adventure getting into the business, operating the business and, and living through its, its closure um but it uh it's experience that i still value it's experience that is going to be with me in every other step that i take because a lot of people are asking well what's your next step yeah you're starting something or are you just reopening mlu precision 2023 <laughs> <laughs> is this 2.0 <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. because uh it, it, you know a lot of people do that they wipe off their their payables um, in part and, and try and kind of reboot the business. Yeah. Um, problem is, is because of my personal implications in the business, which a lot of entrepreneurs do. And I will tell you guys all right now, watch it with your personal liabilities as much as you can protect yourselves, put your personal money or whatever you can get it out of reach, get it protected. Okay. Uh, just to protect the downside. It's one of those things that, that, um, and I'm saying this not because I was a super whiz at it, because I'm learning after the fact. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's uh, it, it's one of those things that I remember Richard Branson saying is always protect your downside. And, yeah. and you know, he was saying that he'd get a little slip of paper and get his wife to sign on it and say, oh, yeah, we're putting the house up on, on we're putting the mortgage down into the business. Um, it, it just be very conscious of what you're willing to put in and, and face that reality that it could come calling because okay. um shit happens right and Absolutely. even when i was going through the the discussions with the trustees and the repo guy who was there was a spectacular gentleman um was telling us that you get these businesses that are around for 40 50 years and all of a sudden something happens covid comes and it just it your knees get knocked out and you don't see it coming sometimes and it pays to be prepared yeah. says these, these companies some construction companies that are doing really well got a lot of sales racked up in debt in a bad situation and it just liquidity is an issue yeah uh, so i you you just put two words together that i've never heard in the same sentence 
uh, repo man and nice guy. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was maybe lucky, but uh, <laughs> well, well Jordan. <laughs> they were part of their trustee, the the, the whole oh, okay. uh, the, the whole pro the, the the process that that works where they come in and they sort of seize all of the assets of the company. But yeah. because of the fact that we did that, we decided to do it. It's not like you know somebody sent the repo guy after us. Right. Um, it's it's the same guy that does basically <laughs> all the different things. But he's just a lot nicer when you voluntarily do it, right? That's it. When you have the choice to say, "Come in, please." <laughs> Got it. Got yeah. it. So, Jordan, this uh, you said. You know, people are asking you what's next. Uh, before we started recording here, you, you gave me some good news. So, what is next for for Jordan? So what's next for me um, is that I've decided to, to step into a senior manager role at another manufacturing firm uh, who's, who's in the Montreal area um, that does, they're, they're a decent sized company um, where they're at uh, about somewhere between three and 400 employees. Wow. So I'll be stepping in uh, to take over the role from someone who's leaving um, and the, the, new product uh, or product development, new product integration mm -hmm. um, scheme of things. So I'll be hopefully able to use a lot or leverage a lot of my experience from the aerospace, from the shop, yeah. uh, from MLU um, to, 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 to step in. And I, I know I've got some big shoes to fill because the guy who's leaving is, is, was there for about 25 years. Um, wow. So he's, he's, he, he's part of the wallpaper, essentially. <laughs> it's just a picture of him on the wall everywhere. Absolutely. <laughs> So, but, uh, uh, yeah. how many people are you going to have uh, directly reporting to you uh, in this so new position? I'll have two direct reports, two managers, and then under them, there's another about uh, 40 people in total. So, under wow. my, my portion of the organization, I'll have about 42. Um, how do you plan on, uh, I mean, doing what you did at MLU, right? That, that was your company. Uh, how do you plan on uh, navigating? Uh, and measuring where the culture is uh, on this team as you walk into this new role. And it, it's funny because that's been on my mind a lot in the last, ever since basically I agreed to step in because I, I'm still seeing this position almost like a CEO role. It's not, I mean, but I'm going to be managing the departments right. fairly autonomously Um and I'm, I'm grateful that I'm going to have at least a, a decent overlap with, with the outgoing man, well, outgoing director, okay. um, as well as the staff around, but managing expectations, understanding who is who, how are they, what are the interactions, getting to know every single individual, um, getting to know, you know, the, the two managers, my two lieutenants, that's going to be essential. Yeah. Um, I, I really, uh, my first is going to be come in and observe, get a lay of the land, get a sense of um, who is what character type. So going back to those those four quadrants, yeah. getting a sense of who are the dominants, who are the ones that might be uh, challenging, who may be more challenging for me because I'm, I'm not a, a – dominant's not one of my first two. Okay. Because dominant's not one of my first two, I have to be careful, and that's one of the things where um, I have to be conscious of the people I bring in around me that if they are dominant, then I have to be careful. And that's true for anybody, even somebody who is dominant. First one, if you come in and you sure. meet somebody who's more dominant, you're going to find them intimidating. Yep. So that well, that one question is going to be is when you meet someone the first time or after you've had a couple of conversations, do you feel intimidated by this person? If the answer is yes, that means that they're a higher level of dominance than you. So I'm going to try and get a lay of the land of who are going to be the challenging ones. In my books, that'll be someone who's, who's higher on the dominant scale. Mm -hmm. uh, and let's face it, someone who's heavily dominant, if you put them in a military situation or any time where there's going to be structure, they're going to be the ones that will have a little bit of trouble adapting, right? They're going to be the ones that will question the authority. They'll be the ones that will uh, that'll either go off and do their own thing. Um, so from an organizational standpoint, those are the ones that I'm, I'm paying attention to. Yeah. Um, but uh, getting a lay of um, the existing culture, because I have to be careful that there's, there's a structure that's working right now. And I have to be very respectful of how it's been built, and it's 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 a larger ship to steer in the sense, not just because of the number of people, but because of the fact that it's it's in a larger organization. Mm -hmm. I have to be conscious of of what moves I'm going to make to alter the culture, and in a supportive way, not in the 
complete domineering, heavy fisted. Um, that works in certain areas. Yeah. But it's, it's a great way to get people to, to fuck off. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Essentially to say, screw you. I've been here for 25 years. Who yep. knows this new guy that's telling me what to do, how to do it and micromanage the hell out of everything. Yep. So that's not what I'm, I'm not trying to create a mass exodus. So I have to be conscious of stepping in and sort of retaking the reins as at least a, a steady pace for the first couple of months. At least I'm going to be stepping in to observe, assess, and, and then I'm going to be looking, going off to basically some SWOT analysis and, and just looking at where our strengths, our weaknesses are, opportunities, threats internally as much as externally. Yeah. Um, so it, it's going to be quite the adventure. Um, be looking to t- well, the the role is going to be taking over rapid prototyping as well as new product integration. Wow. So the rapids kind of got its own it's its own beast. Yeah, uh, where it's just get it out by coming hell or high water in any way, shape, or form, quick and dirty. Yeah. And where the new product integration is okay, we're we're setting the recipe down, we're we're laying it out, we're looking at cycle times, we're looking at tacts, we're looking at you know getting that laid out. And, and and documented so very well structured very it, they're kind of opposing yeah but it'll, challenges it, you'll you'll have something new every day uh, oh completely completely I, I I like to always say uh going back to to you you you're entrenching in entrenching yourself into this new team I always like to say anytime that a a, a new leader comes on board. There's typically, and this is true anytime I took over a new team, uh, but it's true with organizations in general, there's usually about a 20% attrition rate, just normal attrition rate that comes with a new leader coming on board, right? And typically that's because that new leader has values that align with the organization or that they wouldn't be brought into that role, right? but it may not align with 20% of that team. So just keep that in mind uh, as you are going through this, that you may lose about eight people, right? Out of the, the, the what you've got. Um, but that's pretty normal, Jordan. And, and uh, that'll help you then be back in that seat where you're on the playground picking your team again, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's kind of neat. Uh, situation to be in uh for you yeah 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 no definitely i i i agree i think it's going to be uh it's going to be an interesting one and, and as long as nobody uh, steps in and says they don't like my face i'll be okay <laughs> <laughs> well jordan so a... <laughs> what kind of parting uh comments uh do you have for for the listeners uh, of the podcast Long story short, keep at it. Make sure you guys get the help you need, be it in culture, be it in finance, whatever it is, reach out. Um, and and I would say keep looking for your blind spots. Keep looking at what you don't know you don't know. Yeah. Uh, and, and if culture is it, then, then, you know, turn hard into culture. If, you know, if it's finances or if it's, if it's, you know, managing your debt loads, turn hard into that and see how you can be creative and get rid of that. Um, we were... Anyways, that's, um, I'm not going to get it further into the details. We'll leave the crash behind us, <laughs> the train wreck to the rear view. <laughs> and but, and uh, let's, Jordan, I'd love to uh, catch up with you six, nine, 12 months from now. See how your journey with this new organization is has gone, uh, whether that's in person or, or again here uh, over the phone. Uh, we'd love to have you as a, a repeat guest and just see how how your journey's been at, with this new gig absolutely i'd love to uh, love to be a part of it awesome awesome well everybody that's a wrap for today's episode of the manufacturing culture podcast a huge thank you to our guest jordan debaton for sharing his journey with us it, the good the bad the ugly uh it was an amazingly vulnerable conversation and jordan i really appreciate you having it with us today that was uh, a pleasure jim it was a pleasure awesome We hope that you've enjoyed this episode and have learned something new about the importance of culture and values in manufacturing. If you have any questions for Jordan or comments about the episode, please contact us at manufacturingculturepodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts, and please do leave us a review. It it helps the show move up on charts and all that kind of fun stuff. 
Join us again and, next. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Jim. I was just going to say, maybe if you offer the listeners a free No Assholes t-shirt <laughs> for every review they leave. Hey, there you go. <laughs> If you're listening and you write in the a review, I want a no assholes t-shirt, I will send you one. <laughs> there you go. Anybody who has made it to this point in the podcast, if you write a review saying I want uh, a t-shirt no with a no assholes policy, I'll send you a free shirt. So join us again next time for another exciting episode of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast, where we will continue to explore the company cultures in this fascinating world of manufacturing. Until then, have a great day and keep making things. Mm-hmm.